Welcome to the Directing Animation Livecast with Scott Weiser, currently near a crossroads. Will I continue directing the Space Station Animation series with NFTs and Quarter Machine? Will one of my ten original feature film pitches get the green light, which has nearly happened many times, or will both of these dreams collide? Wherever the road leads, I remain committed to mastering the art of telling deeply meaningful stories. Today, my guest is one of my favorite filmmakers in the world and my definite favorite filmmaker in Ireland, <laughs> for sure. Tom Moore, if you don't know him, you should. He's been nominated for three Academy Awards, or three in Oscars specifically. Those include Secret of Kells, Song of the Sea, and Wolfwalkers. I just got this last night. I ordered it early and hoped I could read through it, but I got it last night, so I was only able to, to flip through it and learn a little bit about Tom and his process, but... His name is all over the book. He's doing sketches. He's doing art. He's doing... I don't know if you do some of the animation in the film, but you definitely understand animation and do great, great work. So, is there anything you'd like to add to that, Tom? Oh, no. Thank you for such a um, yeah great introduction. <laughs> and uh, thanks for having me on, because uh, you seem to have a great great roster of guests, so I'm proud to be part of the, the lineup now. Oh, I'm, I'm so happy to have you. Right after Secret of Kells, like... Secret of Kells is kind of the time where I was breaking into the animation industry when that came out. And I remember watching it over and over and over. And then, uh, yeah, yeah. And then I, I was like, I've got to follow this Tom Moore guy on Twitter. And I had just purchased Storyboard Secrets, the Sherm Cohen's DVD series. Yeah. And you tweeted, I purchased Storyboard Secrets. And I thought, this guy is a kindred spirit. Like, he is a constant learner. He just, he was nominated for an Oscar. <laughs> And yet still he's he's learning and, and growing and oh. developing his skills. And yeah. and I can see it in your boards in the book. I've, I specifically looked for your storyboards to see <laughs> the impact of Sherm Cohen. And yeah, your storyboards are, are just yeah, amazing. Thought, I've been lucky. I've been, yeah, that's been a big part. Of, my hero in college was uh, Richard Williams and Gray Attitude. He was always learning. And I remember being so inspired that like shut down his studio just to have everyone get a master class from Art Babbitt or Ken Harris or whoever. So for me, that was always the reason I wanted to work in animation was collaboration and constantly learning. Yeah, absolutely. Have his book up on the shelf. Did you actually meet him? Meet Richard Williams? Yeah, or I, I, I met him uh, twice and, mm -hmm. and it was really inspiring. The first time was before we made Secret of Cows <laughs> and I went to his master class in 2002 and uh, I was kind of shy, but my friend Fabian, another member of Cartoon Saloon, encouraged me to go up and show him what we were working on. And he was so generous, you know, he was like, oh, if I was younger, I'd help you. And he was just so full of, um, he and his wife Mo were so full of enthusiasm and everything. And yeah. then I never, never met him again until I was visiting the Ardman Studios a few years ago. Pete Lord knew that Dick had been a hero of mine. <laughs> As a surprise, he introduced me to him because Dick was working at the back of Ardman in a in a little tiny little studio that <laughs> in a tiny studio exactly yeah. in his 80s animating yeah. so inspiring and then he was showing me what he was doing and chatting away and then somehow somewhere in the middle of the conversation he went oh you're tom moore and my heart just was filled with pride that he knew who the hell I was. And we had a whole other level of conversation. So I was really, really happy that that happened. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's that's when I need to meet my heroes. Is <laughs> once once my name is established and then it's like, oh, no. Well, you know, I, as I said, I met him before it was established and he was just as generous. Oh, he just knew you, yeah. Yeah. But I have huh. to say, they say you shouldn't meet your heroes. And yeah, I've been so, so lucky that I haven't really been disappointed. You know, they've all yeah. turned out really generous sorts so yeah yeah and i can sense that generous spirit in you 
for sure. I Absolutely. remember very, it doesn't seem that long ago that I was really um, just a fan, just full of enthusiasm for learning and finding out a bit more about the medium. So I really remember what that was like. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. <laughs> I hope to maintain that as, as we go forward. You were you were moving from theater into animation when mm-hmm. you saw Secret Cells. Yeah, I'd been probably moving from theater into animation for about two years at that point. Right, okay. Yeah, but... Uh, position. And so had you always been drawing? or um, I had, drawing? actually. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was interesting because I was doing theater and I was doing everything theater in high school, but I also went and took a commercial art class and the teacher gave me a book about Pixar's For the Birds. I actually made a little animated film about a little rocket inside a lamp that flies around. Um, I don't even know where it is or if anybody could ever see it. <laughs> it's lost on sometimes, some hard drive somewhere. But Sometimes that's for the best, sometimes it's a pity. <laughs> oh yeah, I had a short film that I did in college as I was in that transition period. It won a national award, but I still don't show it to anybody. <laughs> Just because the animation is so below the quality that I... It's funny how our standards change. But, you know, that's another thing that I try to do. I I, I try to kind of own my process and show... Like, I did my first oil painting in my life yesterday. And I was a bit shy, but I put it on social media because it's fun to look back and see progress. And it's fun for me to see other artists showing their rough and ready learning training wheel stages too. I had no idea that was your first painting. (laughs) Oil painting. Yeah. Oil painting, yes. Oh, yeah, I knew you did watercolors. I painted but... watercolor, but I never yeah. used oil before, which is why I'm here in Amsterdam to learn oil painting. So I was like, ha. I'm going to do it. I'm going to show <laughs> my first days as a painter. That's awesome. I love that. I love that spirit for sure. And and actually, that leads into what I first, the first topic I thought about. We haven't even gotten to it yet. We're seven minutes in, but <laughs> you're just fun to talk to. Um, I've noticed this steady progression. Like Secret of Kells, again, was amazing to me. I did feel a couple things story structure wise, like, oh, it ended so quickly, you know, <laughs> I, want, I want more. But but I still watched it over and over again. Then I saw Se- uh, Song of the Sea and I thought, oh, he really stepped it up with this one. I could just feel like this amping up of the storytelling. I noticed watching Walt Wolfwalkers last night that there were some really cool visual tricks and visual inventiveness that you had in Secret of Kells that used very, very well. But I almost saw that before I saw the story sometimes, right? Mm. Where Wolfwalkers, all those visual tricks are still there, but you almost don't see them. You just feel them until maybe the second, third, fourth viewing. What is your process? You say that, especially from a fellow filmmaker, that, that's meaningful because, yeah, there's, a, yeah, there's definitely a self-consciousness as a filmmaker that you're learning in public, you know, and, <laughs> and know that your peers can see your flaws and you can hope the, the heartfelt earnestness of the, of the, you know, of the making the film comes across and kind of, you know, I can often see when a, you know, I can see when a film is full of heart, even if it's flawed. Yeah. Really, it really helps me get to see past flaws. More. Yeah, yeah. And it was full of heart. And I actually, you know, I I wouldn't have seen that flaw if I hadn't have seen your other two movies, I think, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hadn't seen your progression. I want to know what your process is of like pushing yourself to the maximum level you're capable at the moment. What's that process look like? That's quite a spiritual and philosophical thing. Well, we can go deep. Go ahead. Yeah, Unleash. I, was, I, was very, I found it very hard. I remember uh, one of my earliest collaborators, Aidan Hart, he's, he's now a sculptor, but he was a big part of the early days of the studio. And I remember saying to him, I always found it hard to submit my projects in college or to turn <laughs> the work over to the client for them to appraise it because I know it could be better. And I remember him saying, you just sort of have to go as far as you can now. Yeah. And just 
let it go and move on. Yeah. And I remember, I remember constantly having to do that because I'm quite OCD, you know, and <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty hard to let go of stuff if I don't think. I remember often being late submitting my projects for college and stuff because I wanted to get it better before I submitted it. But one of the big things I learned early on was just to keep doing it, like kind of hand it over and then move on and do another one rather than try and keep the one thing, trying to make it perfect and never showing it to anyone. I think there's something about the vulnerability of showing your stuff. Yeah. Because then it's out there and then you're embarrassed and you're like, oh, I can do better. And then it motivates you to do another one, you know? Yeah. I'm so sure. Like before I finished Secret of Kells, I knew I'd learned so much that I was <laughs> already thinking of Song of the Sea because I wanted to put everything I'd learned into another movie. Yeah. I had told you I nearly got full funding for my my you know first yeah. original feature film right as I was starting Space Station Animation. And it didn't work out. You know, I could have been super bummed, but I'm so happy about that because we have released uh, we're about to release episode three of this really fast turnaround project that is for YouTube. And I have learned so much. You know, I'm storyboarding episode five right now. So working on five episodes at once, you know, I'm learning so much that I'm like, I am so glad I learned that before the feature film that's more of my baby. You know, I think I think you said something like this on social media, but. Little studios are great because you get to do a little bit of everything. Uh-huh. And now the studio has gotten so big, I kind of have to fight to, you know, I animate a couple of scenes, but it's more like a, a token because I want to stay animating. Uh, yeah. For years in the studio, we had to do a bit of everything. And anything that was fast turnaround, TV commercials, whatever, they're great because you're learning as you go and they don't, they're not forgiving. You can't kind of stop and go, oh, I want to change it. You have to just move forward and commit. Yeah. I think that is really good training. But still, when you're making your feature, I'm telling you, Scott, you're going to be in the midst of a go, oh, I wish I could redo the beginning. No, you have to move on. That's just part of the pain of... I believe it. I believe it. I don't know if you've heard it. You probably have. The book Hitchcock Truffaut. You know, you, you'd listen to Hitch, Hitchcock. So Francois Truffaut interviewed Alfred Hitchcock. And it was recorded, but they also put it down in this thick, thick book. And he talked about every movie. And it's so cool how critical he is of his old movies, you know? And yet how he's like, this was the strength of that movie. So I took that onto this other movie, but I left that other thing that I did behind me because it just didn't work, you know? It's just so cool to hear, like... I noticed that about a lot of my heroes. And I've had to kind of dial it back because I think there was a bit of a... There was a level where sometimes people were so hard on themselves. Yeah. It could almost be paralyzing if you weren't careful. So that's always a balance. Like if you're hard on yourself and critical, you're learning. Yeah. If you get too hard and critical, then you'll never let go and allow it to go out into the world. You know? Yeah. So yeah, exactly. Like, I think it's a real spiritual thing. You know, you're it really is spiritual. Yeah, absolutely. And I think he, it seemed like he was striking the wrong, right balance at that point. I don't know about later on in his life. I don't know. He kind of has a very interesting personal life, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, just things that have come out later. I know that his personal life was interesting because he, he always kept the, the same, he was married to the same person, but he also did some kind of weird things on the side. And anyway, that's a yeah. side tangent. That's not really important to your, your process. It's always fascinating to read about these people who have these adventurous lives and mm-hmm. wonder how they had time to be, you know, wonderful lovers and travelers and raconteurs and make stuff. Like for <laughs> me, I always feel I have to have a really boring life so I can do interesting interesting work because if my life gets too interesting i'm not able to do work <laughs> i agree i agree the space station is, is created by a social media influencer he's been labeled as a professional fun haver and he is all wow. over the place like it is so easy being at the space station to just get sucked in by what everybody else is doing and it's like i have to just lock myself in a room <laughs> um, i have to accept that my life can't be uh, so interesting if i want to do interesting work because 
I definitely can't. I know. And I read about these great artists, amazing lives like Frida Kahlo and people uh-huh. like that. And you're just like, wow, they live these short, fast, packed lives and did all this amazing artwork. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. So what is your favorite thing about making a film and your least favorite thing about my making favorite, a film? My, oh, my favorite thing about making films. It's a good question. Um, I think it's the collaboration. It's really oh, yeah. all that time with other talented people and you're learning and soaking it up all the time. And there's camaraderie, which is, and there's a kind of a, once you've done it a couple of times, there's almost a comfort in the process too, that you kind of feel, <laughs> okay, I know what I'm doing. It's yeah, yeah. I think maybe my least favorite part of it is just before it gets released, <laughs> um, have almost the same nerves that you have at the beginning that maybe it won't be good. Oh, yeah. Good, but you can't do anything about it. You just have to wait <laughs> for the, the feedback to come in and try as hard as you can to be that impossible enlightened being who's just happy that you did your best and it doesn't matter what they say about it. You know, that's a hard moment. It's very public and it, it's often made more difficult because I guess if you're an actor and you go out on stage and you have a bad night, you know you're going to have another night tomorrow. Uh, yeah. you make a movie, it takes years and years and you know if it goes out and it doesn't land well, all those years are like, oh man, I can't just quickly redo it, you know? So. I really felt that as you described that. Partially because I've been through it. You know, you mentioned short yeah. projects. I've done over 50 short things, you know? You, you kind of... Well, now I have so many questions for you. How how do you manage that? Like, how do you manage that? <laughs> I, will, I will admit... It's so well, tough. Something that, something that was really helpful for me has been working with the younger generation who are so open about mental health and stuff. Uh-huh. And I think that some of my heroes were probably a little bit OCD and a little bit not great mental health wise. And I'm really struggling to be a mentally healthy, emotionally intelligent uh, artist and not one of these crazy broken people that seem to come out of this business so all the time, you know? So it's been a journey. Yeah. I, that's what I'm saying. I think I'm better now, but... When I was younger, I don't think I managed it so healthily. I, I sublimated it into a lot of nervousness. And yeah, yeah I, you know, I, I didn't recognize how big of a thing I was asking of myself. Yeah. To carry all that and then also be totally cool about it not being a big success. Like, remember when Secret of Kells was released? I had this depression. And I think huh. it's really cool that, like, a big achievement can lead to depression. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was really happy about. But the fact that I didn't and like I never expected it to be a big hit in the cinema. But for some reason, because people weren't going to see it in the cinema in the numbers that I'd hoped, I just took it really hard and really. Oh, yeah. And I was just so lucky because it kind of got recognized in festivals and it built up and built up. Slowly built the momentum. Bit by bit, it kind of I kind of as I was coming out with that depression. The movie was being discovered and it ended up with the Oscar nomination and all. And it was an amazing journey. But yeah. I, I know I was really lucky. I know I was really lucky because I'm yeah. sure there's just as equal an opportunity. A movie could go out. It could be just as good. And for whatever bad luck doesn't get noticed. Yeah. And you just have to soldier on and do it again and hope, you know, that people find it and it means something to them. I love that. <laughs> I, I, I love it because I feel it too. I I. Yeah, it was interesting when I was making layers. I don't know if I've said this on the live cast before, so <laughs> I'm going to share it with you because you're great to talk to. Um, so, yeah, when layers, when I was working on layers, I had these buddies who had worked at Disney and, you know, they had that Disney name, name next to their name, you know, 
And they just had all these opportunities opening up and this big budget for their thing. And they got to screen it at Pixar. Every time I hit like a benchmark in my project, they would come out with this thing like, yeah, we just screened at Pixar. And I'm like, oh, I, I finished half of the film. So that's, yeah. you know, and so I would be tempted to not feel great about it, you know. And then then when I released it, it got like almost the week I got I released it, it got nominated for an Oscar. Their project did. Ooh. And I was just like, Scott, you can't you can't compare yourself. But it still happened. Right. It's still. <laughs> Still so part of the journey that I was very disappointed with. Like I was expecting thing, things to blow up and things to happen with it because I'd put so much heart and soul into it. The weird thing is that over time, weird, yeah. random, like the guy who co-founded Walden Media, I had him on the show as well. They did the Chronicles of Nardia and a bunch of really cool, yeah. very family oriented projects. He was like, it's my favorite short film since Adam and Dog. And I was like, what? You know, uh, and, and yeah. there was one girl. She has some sort of mental disability where color, her interaction with color and just feelings, and I can't remember what it was, but she's like, Layers is my favorite film because it speaks to that part of me, this this disability that I have, you know? And I was at a screening and, you know, this is this applies to any film without words, but there was a deaf person who's like, I liked your film because it was the only one without words. And I said, actually, mm-hmm. there was one word because the guy reaches up to his wife and says, wait, in this memory. She's like, I didn't know it said that. And so... I went back and reanimated that little section and put the words weight coming out of his mouth. Oh, nice. In the memory just for her. You know, it's just really cool oh, interactions nice. like that. And that's it, isn't it? It's like, it's, it's, it's the hardest thing in the world to do. We'd all be enlightened beings if it was easy. But it is worth always remembering that talent work will out. At the end of the day, if you put that work in there and you don't bury it consciously, you keep putting it out there. Yeah. It will its audience. It really will. And yeah, comparing ourselves, you really, I remember the first day of animation school being told, to the two things the teacher said she said look on either side of you these are probably the people you're going to come up with in the business afterwards so you know <laughs> remember that and also you're not in competition with any of them yeah you're only in competition with yourself right and i remember hearing it and it, i'm still learning that like i heard it when i was 17 yeah 45, i'm still trying to learn <laughs> if we could learn that we'd be much better we'd be much better for our mental health i think yeah and even if you're not comparing yourself to somebody else you do have certain expectations right yeah. which which is what happened when you really see secret of kells you maybe have imagined some expectations didn't quite meet it and then it exceeded it <laughs> sounds like yeah, it's another way but, that uh, never, yeah, that's an amazing thing but you, you do learn that there's three or four stories to every project and you have to kind of remember which one you're in at that time and not devalue the previous one so the story of getting the project made getting it off the ground that's success and it's an adventure in itself and once it's financed that story's ended but you can say you did that part and you can be proud of that then you have to make the thing and that's a journey too yeah that's a journey you work with and you don't want to devalue that stage by then coming a little bit bitter or disappointed afterwards because you have to own the fact that that's a huge achievement already getting it made getting it financed and produced and off the ground making it with all those people who put so much work into it with you those are successes already and then you sort of have to let what happens afterwards be a whole other story you know yeah those are the three stories you have the story of yeah Yeah. let's let's go through those again because i I wanted to actually label them so the first story is the story of the development process and then there's the story of getting it made to, to production like to getting it into production yeah and then you have that production story and then the release story writing, yeah writing it getting it like make it like having the bravery to even go out and try and get it together get it made that's like even writing a script is an achievement you know getting a script written you know everything is an achievement and it's sort of like allowing each of those to be you know triumphs in and of themselves so that not everything not everything is devalued if for some reason the story at the end is what you'd hoped it would be <laughs> 
that's the philosophical way I try and think about it. I remember we were working on Secret of Cows and I just met Fabrice, the screenwriter. Uh-huh. And it was in Paris. I was about 25 and I was walking back and it started to snow. And I was always full of this tension. But is it really going to get made? Is this what's <laughs> going to get it into production? Yeah. And then I can't remember having a little mindful moment and kind of seeing the snow. I said, I'm in Paris in the snow. And if nothing else, I'm learning a heck of a lot about screenwriting from this like super experienced screenwriter who was like already 20 years in the business when I met him. And I went, that's an achievement. Look what I'm doing now. You know, this is a lot more than I could have imagined only a few years ago when I was in college. And so each little thing like that, I try to let that be a, a successful little story in itself. You know, it was a successful little story. Yeah. That's awesome. That's really cool. And I, I, okay, so we're talking, it's funny, some of my live casts recently go into mental health, and maybe that's because mm-hmm. of what I'm going through. I discovered recently that, you know, human beings are only equipped with maybe two or three skills for processing emotions. And uh, I found mm-hmm. I found this series on YouTube called Therapy in a Nutshell. And I actually created a playlist about it. And I, I tell you what, not a week goes by where I don't share that playlist with somebody who's like, I'm really mm-hmm. struggling with this. Yeah. It's like, well, I have this. <laughs> and I try to do it in a very kind kind way like it really helped me it might help you are you interested you know not saying you need this this you need mental health you need therapy the the whole point of it something you touched on that was so cool was that um she's she's not a fan of the self-esteem movement because self-esteem you end up putting your worth into the wrong things Mm -hmm. and the things she points out are like physical things like your appearance so the Mm -hmm. way you look even if you are the most amazing looking person in the world that's going to fail you at some point so if you put your worth there at some point you're going to have look bad It, it might be you know when you're old who knows when it is maybe you get in an accident something you also can't put stock into what other people think or comparing yourself to others we've touched on that one and then the other one that she pointed out was really slippery was achievement because achievement is something that yes you can find a lot of value in it but if you put all of your worth onto that then it could actually go the opposite or if you're like michael jackson and who made thriller and was always trying to get back to thriller you know mm-hmm. get back to that huge strike of lightning um and never being satisfied then then that's a problem so what she says you should put your value in is values mm-hmm. so write down your values or figure out what your values are and are you living by those values so it seems that's to be the- one of your yeah. values is like you're a constant lifelong learner. As long yeah. as you're living by that, every day you're succeeding. Yeah. Every day you're successful. Every day you That's have... That's it. I talked to my wife about this during lockdown because we had a lot of time together. And <laughs> when we were just already in... When we were both art students. And I think that we both came to the point... Like she felt that I was like easier to live with. I spent a few hours drawing every day. <laughs> Love that. My mom, my mom said that too. My mom laughed when she said that because my mom said I was like that as a kid too. So for me, some of my therapy is learning and drawing. And, and pushing myself personally uh-huh. and I need to separate that in some ways from everything else because it's about how you spend your day right I mean if you spent your day doing something that aligns with your values for five years and if at the end of it you've made a movie that nobody seems to be, want to see you didn't waste your time you didn't you know yeah you didn't waste your time because you spent your day doing something that aligns with your values I really agree with that so do I and you did that in Paris you you were having a hard time because you were putting how you felt about yourself uh, in certain er- other areas but what you did is you just moved it over you said no wait 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 i'm here in paris learning a ton about screenwriting with this amazing person it's snowing it's beautiful i'm gonna be grateful for that i'm gonna find value in that because i think it's such a long journey and making a movie is like so huge just getting (laughs) finished is worth an award in 
itself. Never mind whether it's good or bad. Just the fact that you finished it. Yeah. So you, you do have to really appreciate and be grateful for all the little steps. And the trick for me is the craft. I, I find the craft, like if I'm animating or I'm storyboarding or whatever, feel good, feel like I've done something by the end of the day. If I have a few days in a row where it's just meetings and planning and organizing and telling other people what to do, I get really tired and stressed because yeah. somehow I'm disconnected from the reason I got into it in the first place, you know, for me, which was to draw a lot. You know? Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to open the art book to a picture <laughs> I saw. So this picture right here, <laughs> something you, you said sparked, sparked my curiosity. And I, I had had the thought, I was like, that is a lot of work. <laughs> like yeah. a lot of your contributions in here are like a sketch. And I'm like, I yeah. wonder what the emotion was behind this piece of art. To me, I imagined you being like, I really want to create something in depth, you know? So I'm going to go and I'm going to develop this thing. It's really easy for me at the stage I am in my career to do a few sketches and hand it off to the amazing, talented team and they make it so much better. But during the beginning of Wolfwalkers, I was doing a digital painting course and uh, online. One of the artists who'd worked in our studio, Mickey Montillo, was was offering it. And uh, so I was doing that course while so a lot of the exercises that we had for the course with that one was like to do like a fake oil painting from the time period okay like to do something in that style yeah and i was like oh great i'm gonna use that as a piece of concept art for wolfwalker i love that a lot of stuff like that you know and we would have exercises to do because i was learning photoshop for the first time officially because everything i'd learned about photoshop i just sort of learned by trial and error yeah like that in, in college and so i was teaching myself that kind of belatedly and at the same time developing like our third feature so I kind of used the exercises to as concept art. That's how I did my degree, my bachelor's degree. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I told you I had left. So I started at Weber State as a musical theater major. And then I was like, I want to do animation. And so I took different areas like art, English, and it was going to be music, but I took um, communication and I compiled those and there were no courses for animation. So I, I would have to go to every teacher and say, can I change your syllabus a little bit can i use this these assignments to build things for my short film that i'm, I'm going to develop and uh that's an amazing experience that's yeah, yeah that's, that's the same that's exactly yeah we're on the, we're birds of a feather i think Scott, because it's building your educational policy ambitions around your other ambitions yeah yeah exactly exactly and i want it i it might have just kind of flown by for the audience but you took a class from one of your employees on the film isn't that yeah, what you just said yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> that's always been my kind of a big part of why I wanted to have the studio. Uh-huh. I was always inspired by Richard Williams. The fact that like he hired someone like Ken Harris or Art Babbitt and they were animating for him and teaching him animation. Like to me that and it doesn't have to be someone who's older. I mean, there's young people come into the studio and for whatever reason, they've gathered some something or some skill that I'd love to have. Yeah, and I'm always learning from them all the time. Or at least understand, right? Like, how, how are you even doing this? Like, I, I don't know. All the people that I'm directing, some some of them are doing what looks like alchemy to me. Um, yeah. We're using the Unreal Engine, which is a game yeah. engine, but we're using it to render really quickly in CG. Yeah. Um, and there's a guy named Tanner Shelton. Shout out to Tanner. You're amazing. He just does this stuff. That's just so amazing. I haven't even opened Unreal yet. <laughs> I will. I will. But I, I, I keep asking him. I, I just don't know how I could direct him unless I understood what he was doing. And like, if I give a note... Can you change this? And I I don't understand his process, at least somewhat. 
I think mm. that I can end up costing a lot of money or yeah. frustration for him or yeah. Yeah, so. it's an interesting power dynamic and it changes. And for me, it's something that I've been let, obviously as the studio's grown, we've had more specialists and stuff. And it is, that's an interesting one I'm still in the process of because I guess there's one way to think about it where it doesn't matter how the, you know, how, how they make the cookie. You know, you just sort of have to be the director yeah. saying what be. And there's directors who work really well like that. And I definitely have my blind spots. I mean, I'm no musician, for example. Yeah, there is areas that I just trust the alchemy. So yeah, it's an interesting one. I think that really comes down to each director that I mean, Nora, for example, much more than me really gets her hands dirty in editing, like she's editing all the time. Mm -hmm. Whereas for me, that's not something I always work with an editor and I have conversations with them, but I let them present stuff to me. And yet there's other areas that like the artwork or the animation where I really do need to get my hands dirty. And I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it definitely is interesting. It's really cool. So you, we mentioned, I think that was before the show, we were talking about Jorge Gutierrez and Brandon Oldenburg and William Joyce, all these very independent people. I, I still think of you as independent. You're definitely not connected to like Disney that has tons of money or, you know, Sony that has tons of money. What... What is your approach to, if you can share it, financing a film, like actually getting something made? So is, yeah. Yeah. This, this was interesting because we, I think we talked about this before you we went live, but that's the big thing. I feel definite kinship with people like yourself and Brandon and Jorge and everyone, William Joyce, all of them. But what's different for me is that I also, there's at least 50% of what I've done in my career is built a studio in Kilkenny. So we're a small independent studio. Yeah. It's not like we have a load of cash, like a, like a big Disney or something. And and we've also built a kind of service provider arm and then we've moved that into a partnership with Mercury um, where we do work for hire. And there's a whole part of my in Lighthouse Studios. So there's a whole part of my career that's been studio owner and studio manager. Yeah. And another part of my career, and thankfully I have amazing partners. So I mean, Paul and Nora and everyone, Jerry and the whole team take care of a lot of this for me. But there is a part of my brain that's always been building a studio in order to make stuff. So there's kind of a disconnect for me and a fascination for me with people like yourself who are kind of out there and you're way more independent, even more independent because you're developing projects, and getting them off the ground and then finding the place that's going to make it you know that yeah like, you're not interested you know so for me cartoon saloon and me as a director are very connected you know yeah so even projects i come up with people often say oh would you not like to do live action it never even crosses my mind because so much of my mind is taken up with building and maintaining and sustaining a 2d animation studio yeah know? So obviously I'm going to have ideas for that medium. It's just, it would take me in a complete other direction if I suddenly started thinking about doing a live action film. So anyway, that's just to explain this small difference between the way, and maybe that's a more European thing or something, that there aren't as many big studios that you can go to and get your project made. So you It could be, yeah. yeah. And At least, you know, it was like that 20 years ago. So. I'm kind of a hybrid of studio builder slash independent yeah. row because I am building a space station animation right now. But yeah, the question to me, like I said in the intro, do those dreams collide? Like does space... Space Station yeah. become a partner on one of my feature films. Right now, it's not kind of it's not really looking like that because Space Station's all about like this professional fun haver who is having mm -hmm. tons of fun with his family, and so it's a different mm -hmm. brand, really. Yeah, that's interesting. We we discovered that, and that's something I'm going through now because now I'm in a different part of my career. Uh huh. And having made the three movies that I kind of had been planning to make, co-directed some of them, um, but 
having made those, I sort of feel like, okay, what is Cartoon Saloon? Because it's not going to be just the films that Nora and I want to make as studio owners. There's other people there and they're so talented and they're coming up. And it's about trying to trying to do that with an open hand so that we allow other artists' talent and their own vision to come true. And to also keep an eye a little bit on what we've built and why what we've built is special so that we don't, you know, morph into something unrecognizable. Yeah. But we do want to be original. So it's an interesting thing. But sorry, I'm going way off topic. Your original question was about financing features. Yeah, yeah. I like the off topicness, though. <laughs> I liked what you were going. Um, so, yeah, you were talking like your answer was I, I'm building the studio. I'm constantly focused on that. You also do some work for hire that mm. feeds into like original content. Mm. The thing that is, is I'm always like trying to wrap my brain around is where does that big chunk of money come that says, OK, we know we can do this feature and afford it and afford to finish it. Um, where yeah. does that come from? So I'll, I'll tell you, there's two things. And the simpler one is more recently. More recently, Nora's making a film for Netflix. Uh-huh. Yeah. Net- Netflix said, we're going to pay you to make the movie. So yeah. that was it. That's how simple it was. Netflix said yes. And then it, it went ahead. I mean, there have been years and years of development before that with the writer and the Yeah. And most people but, don't get that. Most people, Netflix yeah. kind of, they, they put tendrils into your project and then it's theirs. They give it to a different director. They get, you know. Um, oh yeah, that could happen, yeah. That so does happen is, with some projects, depending on how established you are. So. And stuff, I guess, for us, Netflix, were, you know, we were there right from the beginning with them with this project. Yeah. So anyway, so, so that one is kind of sim- easy to explain because I'm sure it's the same for someone like Jorge or yourself. But prior to that and, and the way that I'm really keen not to lose was a European co-production method where what we would do is we we take our idea to a pitching forum like Cartoon Movie in, in France. Uh-huh. All the other small independent animation studios in Europe would be there and we'd, we'd pitch our idea and we'd look for co-producers and then what we would do is we'd have a team of like say two or three co-producers usually in France um, in Belgium sometimes with Denmark and, uh, and other countries sometimes Canada but anyway it would be co-production and so if each person would commit to raising the maximum fund that would be available in their country and so you'd usually end up with a budget that by necessity looked like the maximum you could raise so what would happen is we'd raise about 2 million euros in Ireland through the Irish Film Board and different tax incentives, maybe making a sale to a distributor. Our French partner would do something similar in France, you know, a French TV sale, some French public money, so on. And so then you'd sort of have, say, three co-producers and all together you've raised about six million euros. When all the individual co-producers have sort of gotten letters of agreement from all the funders that they would have, then you go to the bank and you go, okay, we have all these contracts. All together they equal six million euros. Will you cash flow our production? And then production begins when you get a huge loan from the bank let's say <laughs> in in one version of events yeah. that's that's credible it's really uh it's really scrappy <laughs> i <Yeah>. love it <laughs> it's scrappy and i think that's how very unusual stuff got made because mm-hmm. i was so lucky i don't think any one financer would have taken a risk on a movie like secret of Kells from a, a, you know a, a no. young studio i don't think they director. would yeah just wouldn't add up on paper but yeah enough small places were willing to give a little bit of money that all together we were able to make something and then that kind of created its own thing so that when we went out with um Wolfwalkers after having made Secret of Kells and Song of the Sea in that very independent way. Somewhere like Apple went, oh, we know what you do. Like, we know the kind of movie you make. And so yeah. they understood what we were pitching them. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I, it's that track record. Yeah. Um, that's what I've been trying to do with the, the side projects, you know, the side hustles that I've been putting, those 10 feature film pitches. It's like, establish this pattern of like, look, this is what you expect. You can expect increasing quality. You can expect, you know, all this stuff. Yeah, yeah that's why. That's how it's done. Yeah, that's it, I think. Yeah. Uh, and we didn't, we were enthusiastic at the start when we were young and we didn't realize it, but 
Looking back on it, I think the first four or five years of our studio's history was very much showing up, building a track record. Yeah. Seeing that we weren't just pitching it and then giving up. We were keeping trying to get it made. We were working, doing work for hire, whether it was TV commercials or portions of other people's movies. And by showing up and building that track record, we made short movies that got some recognition. And then I think, you know, that day in Paris where I was getting to work with a French screenwriter and was the result of the track record we built up. I know it seems to you as you work day to day that you're like, you've got your head down, you're just working in quiet and, you know, it's not dazzling in that sort of thing. But just that whole story, I just can't tell you how inspiring that is to me. You know, it's just so (laughs) amazing to hear. It's like, oh, it gives me hope, you know, because I'm in a situation where, yeah, my my business had a bit of money left over yesterday, last year. So I've put a few thousand dollars into building some assets for this, um, for the unsinkable song. And the other morning I woke up and I was like, am I being dumb here? Like, <laughs> I just put money, like all this money into like creating these what assets. What else are you going to do? Really? Like, that's what I always think. What else are you going to do? I know, I know. Williams, I remember watching a documentary with him in it when I was in college and he was saying, you know, what am I going to do? Buy a yacht? You know, like, why am I making all these commercials? It's so I can practice my art. Yeah. At the level I want to practice it at. And for him, it was making the feature, you know? Yeah. Well, and a lot of it's my wife. She is a super, super human budgeter. <laughs> Oh great! She takes she takes like she squeezes squeezes blood out of a stone or something. She's like, oh yeah, you gave me a stone. Now we have like a I don't know a pile of gold, and it's like, where'd that come from? From the stone? That's a good partnership. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and she does it. It's it can be fairly exhausting to her. She's like always looking for deals, and you know we we're gonna go to Disneyland soon, but we saved up for years for that. You know. Yeah producer type like she's producing your your work or is she just your manager she we called her the cfo in the business yeah so yeah, yeah. but she she's so integral and i it was funny this mass magic book that i'm going to have to self-publish because it just yeah i won't go into it but <laughs> i told you before because well, it's the reason that we you know produce our own projects by yeah yeah marks. it's not because it wasn't high quality i was hitting the ba- yeah. the ba- benchmarks with the producer and that sort of thing it was just because it, it it's the road i want to yeah. go on as i'm self-publishing when my wife was wa- reading the climax of that book i walked up right after she read the climax of that book and she was just sitting there like eyes wide and i was like what's wrong and she's like this book is amazing. Like, I was like, really? <laughs> and she explained like her whole experience. And then the next, the next day she read chapter 16. <laughs> She's like, Scott, chapter 16 is a letdown. <laughs> oh. <laughs> She's like, you've got to rewrite it. And she told me why and what she had been expecting to see in chapter 16. And I rewrote it. I've already rewritten it several times now since with the publisher, but yeah, that you have a great partner. Yeah. yeah it's good. Great. It's good to I find those great partners. Well. Yeah. yeah. Isn't it hard when it's your romantic partner, your life partner, your <laughs> family? That's gotta be hard. Yeah. I didn't listen to her at first. <laughs> so in and the Misfit Supers was my first, like it's more of a series pitch, but it was my first like original project that I started putting out there saying, I want to make animation out of this. I didn't listen to her. She told me there were weaknesses in the story, but I just was like, no, no, you're wrong. It's, People will see when when it comes out. And then, yeah, people would... They had to really read that story at least twice to even understand what was going on. And it was like a short comic children's book. So yeah, at that point, I was like, oh, maybe I should listen to her more. <laughs> yeah. It's good to have one or two people that you really trust, you know? Yeah. And then you come to a point in your career where you're like, oh my God, I'm actually going to go against what they think. But I'm confident that I've learned enough from them that this is what I need to do now. That happened to me with a few people like Nora. Mm. It would have meant so much to me. Like if she said something wasn't working in the story or whatever, yeah. I would have said right back to the drawing board. 
work. But then at a certain point in Wolfwalkers, it was just a moment where I was like, God, now I have to just jump into the darkness a bit without Nora's, you know, she was busy on another project. She had notes that I didn't feel were what I want to do with the project. And Ross and I were confident about another direction, but it still was scary because somebody that I relied on so much for so long for that yeah. kind of approval before I'd go forward creatively yeah. and I was going to go the other direction of. And that was scary, but yeah. that could do. And I guess that's kind of a sign that you've learned enough from them that you yeah. can trust yourself that you're not making a big mistake doing that. Well, it's also a sign that maybe the way you presented it, they're just not getting it. That can be it. Yeah. And and, or or, or you're not just, you're not getting it either. Yeah. An example of this is the, my short, or my, one of my feature film pitches, it's called Nothing, <laughs> about a woman who feels nothing. So... <laughs> Which is hard, a hard thing to make a movie on, but it's not its not just that. Um, the thing, the device that she wears that makes it so she feels nothing, nothing starts to fail and then she has to experience it. Um, and and her, she has powers connected to those emotions. But when I first pitched the film, I pitched it kind of weird. Nobody, I had a bunch of people voting on which pitch I should develop. Nobody voted on it. And even like several stages of the pitching process as I was developing that thing, nobody liked it. <laughs> Um, but I just knew there was something there that I was like, it, yeah, but for my audience, I just, uh, I kept pushing it, trying to figure out what was, what was there. I did tell you this story, but my son went on a, an evangelize, evangelization. I don't know. <laughs> he went around evangelizing your film. So oh, he wow. saw Wolf Wackers and he just was so blown away. He's like, it's the coolest thing I've ever seen. And he would go around and, and somebody would be talking a movie and he'd be like, it's not good as, as good as Wolf Walkers though. And they'd be wow. like, no, no, it's really good. And he's like, no, no, no. You just haven't seen Wolf Walkers. Once you see it, you'll know. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of our success was that too. Like like I mentioned that things didn't make a huge impact when they first went out with Secret of Cows, but word of mouth, you know, we had passionate fans and that meant a lot. Yeah. That's awesome. So my last question that we always ask on the show is the get wiser moment. It's a pun. Um, <laughs> so uh, if my goal, here's the question, it's, it's a kind of a deep one. If my goal is to get the highest concentration of truth into a film, what approach would you recommend? We talk about this a lot. I think you're kind of looking for the pain a little bit. If, it, if it's painful truth, if it's something that it's almost hard for you to, you recognize that this is going to be a hard thing for you to look at. Ah. And you know you're in the right place. It's usually painful, you know. It can be kind of easy to trick yourself and think you're going somewhere, but it's only when you kind of go, ouch. That's yeah. when I know I'm really into <laughs> truthful, you know. I was telling another creator the other day that Masked Magic, as I was writing it, started to really scare me. Like mm. the direction the story was going was scary to me. And mm. they, were, they were baffled. <laughs> but I think mm. that that's what you just touched on. Like if, if there's a strong emotion, you know you're onto something. Yeah. Yeah. I also get, I also feel like there is something, at least in the kind of stories I've been doing, where it feels like a mythic moment, where something almost feels like, like one thing was in Wolfwalkers, we hit upon the idea in a story session of the dad holding so tight to his daughter that she basically has to leave her body behind, you know, because he, he can't let her go. So he ends up holding this like dead, like sleeping daughter and losing her anyway, because he held her so tight. Yeah. And I thought, oh, that's really mythic. Like that feels almost like something that would be in a fairy tale, you know, so I knew we were on I kind of went but that's a definite that says so much about him and his relationship yeah and you did that you did that and it was very interesting to me in that moment of the film because the rules were if you're asleep you're a wolf right but suddenly the rules started to shift you know a little bit but it it worked for me it worked for me absolutely that's the thing as well 
because that's the thing as well for me that sometimes you're like oh can we do that that breaks the rules but sometimes it just feels right it feels like something that would happen in a fairy tale and it feels yeah. like the emotional truth is more important than the strict plot points or the strict, yeah yeah you broke them even further when somebody else becomes a wolf <laughs> Oh yeah, when he got bit, yeah, yeah, when yeah. Because he 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 can't really make himself fall asleep. Like it made a little bit more sense because she, she she's she's exhausted. Like she spent several nights awake, right, or yeah, at least one night. Of, she kind of cuddles into him and puts her head down. He thinks yeah, yeah. Up, but that's actually her. Yeah, but he just he just go, turns into a wolf by going. Argh! The idea was that he blacked out. That was our idea. That he was draining so much on his uh, chain. And then the screen went black, but maybe didn't come across. But, you know, he just kind of blacks out. But it didn't matter if it came across logically. It worked emotionally. Yeah. Like, I was like, he's there. Yes. Yes. You know, I didn't care. I didn't care, like, how the science works. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. If that's what people are thinking about in that moment, they're like, they're not really where you want them to be emotionally, right? You want them to just be, like, excited. and. Oh, my goodness. I'm just going to have to just like memorize that and keep it in my brain forever. That that was a cool moment. Like I'm always trying to learn more about the craft of storytelling. And it's very rare that I have that moment where it's like, oh, that just took it to another level and you just did it. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, that's why I asked that question. I always get different answers. Yeah. I love to hear everybody's slightly different perspective because that's also where the truth is found, right? Is where everybody's experience overlaps and where the commonality exists. You know, you know there's movies that work really well for one person and not for another. That's true. And I think if, you put your, if you're honest, it will contact, it will connect with someone. Yeah. You can't blame yourself if not everyone connects with it because not everyone is going to, you know. Usually, if you get down to something pretty universal, pretty undeniable that people... Yeah. If you made a film for everybody, I think you, you'd lose something that pleases every single person in the world. Especially how with how divisive things are getting nowadays. <laughs> you know, there's all these That's different... That's what they like... try to do, isn't it? Yeah, and then it gets super bland. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Try to cover all their base. <laughs> well, Tom, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on this show. Yeah, you too, sir. You just... Yeah. Beyond, it's good to have a chat. Yeah, and I've I've linked to your Instagram down in our show notes. Is there anywhere else you'd like people to engage with your work? Oh, well, my Instagram is really just my my private work, uh-huh. just my life drawing and stuff. But if our website cartoonsaloon.ie is where you. Can... Yeah, and I have that in the show notes, and I also have yeah, the perfect. Cartoon Saloon Instagram in there as well. So yeah, I have become progressively Rembrandty as the evening as the sun has gone down. I know, I know. It's a good thing I color corrected at the beginning. It's a good thing because you would be completely a black screen by now. Like um, Caravaggio stuff. (laughs) It was a great chatting to you. So great to chat with you. And uh, until next time, I hope we all get a little wiser. Thank you for watching the Directing Animation Livecast, hosted by Scott Weiser. Audio version edited by Kiera Horowitz. Copyright Scott Weiser, LLC, 2022.